Welcome to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast, where we are exploring the crossroads of two hot topics, digitalization and diversity. My name is Adya and I am your host. Welcome back to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast. Today we talk about digital platforms and digitalized communication. Digital platforms such as social media, blogs, and podcasts have impacted the way we communicate, we work, we network, and we learn today. Few months ago, I was invited by Sarona Walter as a guest to Hype Women, the podcast, to talk about the glass ceiling effect, cross-cultural communication, and the type of biases that exist at the workplace. And today, I have the pleasure to welcome Sarona back as my special guest to talk about digital platforms, social media, and the impact of digitalized communication on diversity. Sarona is a South African law graduate turned social media strategist. During the lockdown in 2020, her curiosity and love of connecting with people led her to create a podcast for women called Hype Women, the podcast. It has since been downloaded in over 70 countries around the world. Sarona loves creating thought-provoking content in different forms, from blogging to podcasts to social media posts. And as a creative content strategist, she tackles topics that connect people around the world. Welcome, Sarona, to the show. So tell us about your story, whatever you're happy to share with us. Hi, Adia. And yeah, thank you for having me. And yeah, so today, I guess we're flipping the script. This time I'm on the other side. I mean, (laughs) where do I start? Well, so my story, I'm actually writing a book on that because it's quite a a long story. But I'm from South Africa. I, I met my husband some eight, nine years ago in South Africa. And he at the time was a medical student. I was a law student. We had this long distance relationship because we both had to go back to our countries and, and finish our studies. And, you know, the relationship got more serious. And then he came back to South Africa while I finished my degree and got down on his knees and proposed. And mm-hmm. um, then we got married. And there was this one catch. He said, I have to finish my five years of, I think it was practical or internship in an hospital in Germany. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, like, uh, how exciting go into a new country. And little did I know how cold it was going to be here and Uh how few days of summer I was going to experience, but be that as it may, I, I followed this man to his country and this is where I'm at in Germany and trying to make sense of this reality as a mother, as a wife, as as someone who doesn't practice law anymore and just, you know, trying to own my own space in all of this. Yeah. So that brought me to, you know, like I, I did all the conventional things that I thought I was supposed to do. Move to Germany, learn the language, get a job. I did that. But I think it was, I think, two years into my job, I, I got really sick, like with this very, very strange chronic lung disease. And I mean, it, it's treated now, it's, it's all treatable, but it got me thinking and it made me like ask myself, okay, so what is like the underlying issue? What am I struggling with? Mm-hmm. 
And I guess I realized at that time that I was conforming a lot. I was, you know, I got told many times, oh, but you're a mom and you can only work X amount of hours in the day. Why do you want to push yourself so hard? And as a result, I, I never had those opportunities to progress in my career while I was here. And it frustrated me. It, it really frustrated me. So at that time I was working part-time, but I was also doing like freelance work on the side. So in effect, I was still working like a full-time job. Yeah. And I took the time to like ask myself, okay, what would I really want to do? You know, if money wasn't the option, what would I want to do? And one of the things I was really passionate about, and of course, like this comes from this experience of being a working mom, a foreign working mom in Germany, yeah. trying to find my own way here. I thought, you know what? I need to hear stories of women who are doing all of these courageous things, but like ordinary women, like you, you know, having worked in so many different countries and like, you know, when you look at women of color, I think we all have these stereotypes. Everyone yep. has these stereotypes, but I think the challenges for women of color are so much greater. And so I wanted to share those stories because I think if I could help just one person with that story, I'm happy, you know, like, and that just gave me so much of a release and so much of a sense of purpose. And yep. I had like no idea, I guess, when I started it and I started it a few months into lockdown. Mm-hmm. So again, like lockdown was because, well, everybody's sitting at home and it just made sense, you know? Yeah. And I was inspired by so many other women on social media as well. So it's not like I'm reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And listening to your story and how you ventured into the social media, blogging and the podcast space, they do somehow all seem to come together into your own personal brand and branding historically has been used in a rather professional context such as employer branding or product branding and the term personal branding has existed for some time but I do see it growing today with digitalization and I've also learned that there is research on the factors which make people successful such as being an expert on a topic or investing in the right relationships But almost 40% of success, according to research, is attributed to self-promotion, which was quite eye-opening for me when I learned this. So what is self-promotion and promotion through personal branding for you? And why do you think it is so important today? This is the funny thing, right? So at the age of 16, and this is long before social media, before the internet, when I was in school, I used to love writing and I would write for the local publications, like in the youth section. Mm-hmm. There was this time when I interviewed a local film producer and he was, he was quite international as well. And this interview got published on the regional newspaper in our province. And my English teacher at the time, like she read it and she was like, oh, did you really write that? And I was like, well, my name's kind of on the byline. Yeah. Um, and it was weird though, you know, it was like this kind of like a backhanded compliment kind of thing. But I've just always felt this need or just better about myself when I express myself through writing. So it, it, it was just, you know, like you grow up reading books and you 
want to start your own diary or something. Mm -hmm. So that is just something that I just loved doing. And that was writing. And of course, it's not like I'm a great writer or anything. I have friends who are way better, but I think, you know, perfection shouldn't stop you or this need to be perfect shouldn't stop you. And so over the years, just expressing myself. And then when I was in law school, again, I never found a publication that appealed to me as a person of color. I wanted to see more women of color on covers of magazines because I grew up believing that in apartheid South Africa, we grew up just seeing white skin, blue eyes, blonde hair on the cover of magazines. And I mean, you come from an Indian background, same as me. Within Indian communities as well, it's like, hey, you know, the fair, pretty girls are are the ones that are seen as beautiful. And I just really wanted to start my own platform that was like, no, actually, everyone is beautiful. Like, it doesn't matter. So I started my own magazine. And when I did that, I remember the first guy on the cover of our magazine, he was half German, half South African Indian. It was so Mm -hmm. funny because I joke with my husband. I said, you're not the first German that I met. (laughs) And so over time, I think I just knew that I needed to express myself in whatever way or form. And of course, when you get into corporate now and when you, you know, you hear the word personal branding, it's just given it like sort of a language or context for something that's always been there. Yeah. You know, people have always been expressing themselves. It's just that now you have a platform that's digital. And I mean, for a lot of people who are not comfortable with the space, I think it can be a bit daunting because it, you're like, you separate your personal space with your online persona. Mm-hmm. So for me, it wasn't so much about the self-promotion. Mm-hmm. It was more that, you know what, I have something to share and I'm going to put it out there in the world. Yep. And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, keep scrolling. Mm-hmm. And I can relate a lot to what you've said, because I know that when I started out with my blog and then my podcast, I was very critical of myself and uh-huh. quite concerned about the perception of others. And yes. I had many questions to what extent is it really authentic and whether people would actually take me seriously. And I remember when I wrote my first blog post five years ago, and Mm -hmm. it was on a topic of travel, which I'm quite passionate about, but I still made at least a hundred edits to the first article, which I ever wrote. And I do feel that it did change over time. So when I did decide to get into the podcast space, I tried to switch off all the thoughts in my head and, you know, just do it. But I want to ask you, so have you encountered self-doubt or in the bigger sense, the imposter syndrome when you started out? And if yes, how did you overcome it? I love what you said. That's so true, though. I mean, so the thing is, you know, like I consider myself a writer at heart. Like if I'm going to communicate something, I best express myself through writing. Mm -hmm. Then when I decided to start a podcast, I was like completely out of my depth in this area because one, I did not consider myself like a, how do you say, I didn't even like my own voice. Mm -hmm. I hated it. And I was like, "Mm." but I knew as a content strategist, I knew that, you know, the trends were changing, like people were not reading blogs so much. People were listening to content or, you know, if you look at, all of the platforms right now, you look at Twitter, you look at Clubhouse, Mm -hmm. everything's given you this space to also have these verbal 
connection and, and this kind of also happened because of like lockdown people were not meeting but they wanted to hear yeah. you know and connect with people sort of like in this real time like as if you're you know talking to each other in your own living room mm -hmm. so it was kind of like this natural progression that it just made sense to start a podcast but I of course had to say to myself like think about what is the point of you starting this podcast and that is mm -hmm just to connect people to these stories. Yeah. So it wasn't about me. Like, yes, I have these doubts, these fears. I don't sound great. I might mispronounce something. Mm -hmm. I say a lot of ums and ahs and, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of things. But if I let that stop me, then I'm not going to create any authentic content. Yeah. So that was the thing. I mean, the other thing is I, I've also attended some online courses by people that I love listening to. And mm -hmm. one of the things that this guy said to me was, who's on your shoulder? You know, every time you post something online, like who's on your shoulder? Is it a colleague at work? Is it your, your mom? Is it your dad? I, at one point, actually stopped posting on Facebook because I knew my whole family was watching, <laughs> was mm -hmm. reading. Mm -hmm. My dad would constantly say, oh, can you stop posting this? Can you stop posting that? Yeah. And... I actually just got to this place. I was like, dad, can you just stop watching? I'm going to, you know, block you from my profile. But yeah. I needed to express myself because this was my perspective and I wanted to own it. So a lot of, I think, mindset growth comes with that with, when it comes to posting on social media. It's mm -hmm. really get to this place of like, I actually don't care what anyone thinks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you already mentioned that how digital platforms today have kind of accelerated the way people can share their opinions today. Since the pandemic, a lot of the communication and the collaboration has been largely digitalized. I mean, we're using social media, we have video calls, we do virtual team meetings and workshops, and we're conducting trainings and learnings virtually. We have all kinds of mobile apps today, and there's just so many platforms out there. There is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, YouTube, <laughs> and I shouldn't even get started on TikTok and TikTok. all the trends and the TikTok challenges out there. I mean, you, you are the social media strategist. So I do want to ask you, what platform should one target now to get on? Because there's just so much out there today. Well, I think, you know, the question you should ask is, okay, what is your goal? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you could have many different we call them KPIs in corporate, right? Do you want brand awareness? Are you trying to sell a product? Mm -hmm. Is it e-commerce? Are you trying to lead people to a website to, you know, sell products? If you're a writer and you're trying to get a publicist or get people in the literary world to, to take note of you, Twitter yeah. is that space for, you know, for that. And I know if you're using Instagram for lifestyle brands, that's where you should be. Yeah. If you're looking at organic content, I mean, again, like I think it's TikTok and LinkedIn that that enables you to get the most amount of organic reach. Whereas Instagram and Facebook, you know, if you're a brand, nothing really happens unless you put paid sponsored posts. Yeah. So yeah. to get this effect to reach. So it's, it really comes down to like, you know, what is your goal? So for me, you know, I, I care about engagement. I don't care about like having 10,000 followers or whatever, mm -hmm. or more than that. Like if it comes great. 
you know, I think for me, what matters is that, okay, I'm putting this message out there yeah, and whoever gets it, gets it. Yeah. And that's my community. And with so much of communication today being digital, mm-hmm. do you see, or how do you see all of this digitalized communication affecting the participation and the inclusion of different groups in society? So what kind of opportunities are being created in your view? For me, one of the best things that can happen with new media, because we call all of this new media, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you dictate your narrative, your mm-hmm. story, you yeah. own the story. Mm-hmm. So the story that, and this comes back to personal branding, you are putting out the story that you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the past, if you look at PR, PR is basically where a company will get a media agency to put together a PR, but the brand positioning is always seen from the perspective of the brand is put in the best possible light. And that's not realistic. You Mm -hmm. know, when it comes to personal branding, storytelling, and the fact that you have this platform of new media, you pretty much tell your version of that story, your Mm -hmm. behind the scenes, how you took part in that campaign. So what were your struggles or were your challenges? You get to tell your story and own it. Not just, you know, what you did, but your experiences as a person of color, as a woman. So I think that is where it's like we're changing the dominant narrative. And I think that's very powerful. Yeah. And as you know, the theme of the podcast is digitalization and diversity. And I think we we covered the digitalization part now quite well with all of the digital platforms and the digitalized communication. And I want to talk a bit more about diversity, right? So I do have my own opinion on how these two relate to each other. And I know tell that me, tell you me before have... you ask me, tell me your, your, your opinion on that. <laughs> so you have to listen to the trailer for uh, the podcast, but I can give you a very short opinion about it, right? So <laughs> for me, both digitalization and diversity impact each other in terms of creating a lot of opportunities and also employability. So digitalization in general creates more diversity because there are much more opportunities today for for working moms, for people who have dependent care responsibilities, for disabled people with everything which comes around remote work. But on the other hand, digitalization is really accelerated kind of by just having diverse ways of thinking and different mindsets and really being open to new ways of working and learning and everything which comes with using digital tools. That's a bit about how I see it. But Mm -hmm. I know that you have a very diverse background. So how I understand it, that you are a South African living in Germany with roots from India. So what Mm -hmm. does diversity mean for you? Yeah, not complicated at all. (laughs) Um, And yeah, this is the thing, right? So when I was in South Africa, I grew up in South Africa, fourth generation Indian. And I mean, we never had to question like, where do I come from? Mm -hmm. It was always like, I'm born in South Africa, so I'm South African, South African Indian. Mm -hmm. And yet I've only probably spent like two weeks of my life in India on holiday. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you've 
attended one, I think it was a brunch that we had recently. And my friends are all diverse. And Mm -hmm. it was only until I moved to Germany where I started to question my roots. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, wow. Like, you know, because people would ask me, like, where do you come from? And I would just be like, South Africa. And they look at me and like, no, where do you really come from? Like, what do you want me to say? But for me, diversity actually, I mean, this is from my experience, right? Is that, yes, we can separate the world into black, brown, Indian, you know, whatever color you want to find. But even within that, people are still different. Like I had this assumption that my husband would have like a pair of Lederhosen, but he doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So not all Germans wear Lederhosen, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and that's just like very specific to Bavaria. But from the outside looking in, I think we all have these assumptions of different people. Yeah. But it's for me, diversity is like knowing that even within that group of people, there are even more different like diversity within that. And so Mm -hmm. it's really it's beautiful because at the same time, it's like everyone is different. And I make this joke and I say same, same, but different. Mm-hmm. We're all the same, but we're different. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's also, I can find so many analogies. Like when you look at parts of the body, for instance, I'm like, you know, we're all different parts of the body and everyone has its own specific purpose and yeah. not one is better than the other, but somehow mm-hmm. we all make this whole body function. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So yeah, like diversity for me is just beautiful. And I've always been attracted to anything that is different from me. Yeah, yeah. And I do have a similar understanding of diversity. Today with globalization and digitalization, there are so many diverse communities around the world. And today there are so many people like you and me who do have a diverse background and As you mentioned, that is also a typical question which I have always faced when I moved across countries is, where are you from or where do you come from? And I guess that is just, yeah, because I'm brown living in a predominantly white country and not fluent in the local language. And I think people are just curious kind of to know what my background is. And I feel that there's nothing wrong with asking the question, where do you come from? Because... I think it comes from mostly curiosity. Absolutely. But sometimes there is a perception that a particular person belongs to a certain place based on the perceived stereotype that is associated with that place. For example, I think this is something which a lot of persons of color face because others assume that they're not born there or they don't belong there. And I don't know for you, have you encountered such situations where people have made certain assumptions or stereotypes based on their understanding of your race or ethnicity? So, yeah, I mean, you speak to any foreigner living in Europe and I think we've all had like these experiences. I'm going to recall a very recent incident. I was going to this EMS trainer and he's a young guy very friendly. And he said to me, ah, but you don't look like a typical South African. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said to him, have you been to South Africa? And he <laughs> said, no. And then I was like, so how do you know what a typical South African looks like? Yeah, good answer. 
But I mean, you know, I, he was he was very friendly, so I wasn't offended. But I had to laugh because it was it was also, you know, like obviously very ignorant. Mm-hmm. And then I went a step further and I posted this on social media and I said, you know, funny thing happened. All my South African friends were like, ha ha ha. What is a typical South African? Has he exactly. not heard of the Rainbow Nation? Because we're all mixed. Yeah. And so the German friends were like, oh, but there's nothing wrong with that. Like, he's just curious. Mm-hmm. And no, there, there wasn't anything wrong with us, you know, like, and he himself, like I said to him, well, where do you come from? And he says, no, people also assume that I'm not German, German. And I said, yes, because in Germany, you assume that you have to be white with blonde hair, blue eyes to be yeah. German, German. Whereas in other countries, we don't assume that you're not South African because you have a different ethnicity. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, like I was just, you know, that was a very interesting experience. But I think one of the interesting things though was that we were able to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I liked that I could have this conversation mm-hmm. with him because in the end he said to me, yeah, I don't like these questions either when people ask me yeah. that. Yeah, so. exactly. And I do feel that all of us are in it together. We're all learning together. We're all learning about diversity, especially in the light of the topic also getting more prominent in society today. I think we're not also expected to know each and everything and be really super conscious all the time of what we talk about, but rather just have more empathy like towards what we are saying to other people. I'm going to come back to the one question you had about like everyone has this thing about like where do you come from mm-hmm. and there was this one incident when I was at an Uber in Paris and there was a girl that was taking the same Uber and she she had brown skin she looked like she could be Indian but not mm-hmm. and, and she's like where do you come from I'm like where do you come from <laughs> and, and, um, and she had like this American accent so I was like okay well uh, this is interesting and then yeah. she says well I'm from Ethiopia and I was like no ways I was like I'm from South Africa she's like yeah but I live in Los Angeles and we, like it was super weird and random but it also connected us because sometimes you need to ask you know yeah. but of course I think it, it comes down to the tone mm-hmm. and you you can tell when someone is doing it out of pure ignorance mm-hmm. but sometimes I think it's nice to ask and like also have give room for learning and mistakes and like you know if you're on the other end of it who where you're the one asking where do you come from yeah. you know also maybe you know, apologize for your ignorance somehow. Exactly. Yeah. That's a very good conversation starter, especially yes. if it doesn't already come with the perception that yeah, you already associate immediately where this person comes from and yeah. have a judgment around it. And I do want to ask, I mean, knowing about your story and also knowing a bit more details regarding what kind of challenges you've had to face. So you are a mom of two girls who are half German, half South African. And what kind of challenges have you encountered or are encountering while raising biracial and mixed ethnic children today? (laughs) So, you know, I'm becoming a new mom in a foreign country. I think as your child grows, you grow as well. And you realize, oh my goodness, I have to prepare my child for the fact that what they are learning in school mm-hmm. may not necessarily be their reality. How mm-hmm. their friends are conditioned may not necessarily be 
their story. And so, cause we're not this traditional family, you know, like, like daddy likes his food. Mommy likes her food. And, yeah. you know, both are okay. And I found, you know, like with a lot of mixed kids here, when you're trying to Germanize your kid, it's like you other, the other, the minority culture. Mm-hmm. And I obviously was very, no, you're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I introduced my child to various aspects of South African culture, Indian culture as well. And, and this is where like, I rely on my Indian friends from India to like help me with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so she is exposed to like, you know, the food, the culture, the language, and she can decide which one she, you know, most connects with later on. Yeah. But for now, my job as a parent is to expose her to all of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when it comes to like the challenges, when when you send your kids to Akita here, and I, my biggest challenge has always been around this question of Hautfarbe, which translates to skin color. Mm-hmm. And in Germany, Hautfarbe refers specifically to the Caucasian white skin color. And I'm yeah. like, no, like, and she came home one day and she said, mommy, do you know what Hautfarbe is? And I said, yes, it means skin color. And she goes, yes, daddy's color. And I'm like, oh, this yeah. is, this is wrong. This is not what I want my kid to learn. Mm-hmm. And we, we even like brought this up with the teachers at the Kita. And, you know, so, so we have to actively teach our kids something that I think if you're in a like traditionally like white family, you don't yeah. have to think about these things, you know? Yeah. So to some extent it is exhausting, but like, you know, I, I, I get angry. I, I talk about it. I make a huge thing about it on social media. Yeah. And, but in the end it raises awareness because like my kid is different. She's yeah. not going to be ex- experiencing the same things as, other kids are going to experience. And yep. I wanted to be able to have this courage to like own who she is. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. And I do think it is a responsibility as a society to actually educate kids about it. But as, as you know, that adults rarely can make enough excuses. Right. And we, and we talked a bit about how certain things in society today do stem from ignorance and just not being aware of certain stereotypes or just not being aware of the diversity in the world today. I want to ask you, how can people today, so people, I mean, adults today, be more reflective, be more aware or even more conscious of diversity related topics and biases? Again, I'm going to use the analogy of my kid. She's five years old. She asks like on average 300 questions a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that there's something that we can learn from that. You know, children are curious. Like if, if something is different, they just ask a question. Yeah. Like, you know, why does Opa and Oma do this? Why does Aya and Tata in South Africa do that? And they, they see things. They see the differences. They see the rituals. They see the practices that we do. And they ask these questions. And sometimes I think at the risk of looking stupid, we need to ask questions to sort of build this bridge between different cultures, different ethnicities, and to sort of try to understand. And, you know, I I did a podcast recently where I asked like a very ignorant question and I felt really embarrassed afterwards. But but I was like, 
like, oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure, you know, like it, it would help educate a lot of other people. Yeah. So yeah. I think ultimately, you know, if you want to build this bridge across cultures, then you have to also have this openness and this willingness to learn that yeah. A, your way is not the only way. And that B, we ourselves make mistakes. We ourselves don't know everything about someone's culture. So yeah, very humbling experience. Yeah. I learned a lot. So definitely I read a lot about digitalization and the topics of diversity. I'm reading a lot of blogs. I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. But on the other hand, I do learn a lot just from listening to guests as well on my podcast. Since last year with the whole Black Lives Matter and with the whole diversity movement, there is a lot of more awareness around the topic. There are also quite a lot of initiatives. There are a lot of diversity trainings at the workplace. There are several intercultural and multicultural communication trainings. How can we improve these initiatives? Or let me rephrase that. What is still missing and what can we do even better today? Ooh, very interesting. Do you mean like in corporate spaces or do you mean like in our personal lives? Both. Both, Both, yeah. Okay, so in corporate spaces. I think in corporate spaces, when I know, you know, when you're trying to tackle like a topic like Black Lives Matter campaign on social media for corporate brand, a lot of the times there's a lot of resistance that mm-hmm. comes with it because mm-hmm. often you get told this is too political mm-hmm. and that's exactly why we need to talk about it mm-hmm. because we're speaking about an injustice, Yeah, you know, and I think this is where brands need to step up and have the courage to confront these things because I think why corporates shy away from it is because it very obviously serves a privileged top minority. Yeah. And, you know, to improve these initiatives, I think to be more inclusive, to become more real about it. And this is where every employee mm-hmm. can tell their story. The more I share my story, my reality, I've had like former bosses like reach out to me and say, Hey, I listened to your podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I laugh and I joke and I'm like, ha ha, I didn't know that white male was my target audience, but okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, again, use, use the platforms that you do to speak about things or what you think that can be done better. I mean, you can influence the space around you. You can influence the people you work around you and have those real conversations. You know, like for instance, if you're working with someone from a community, a country that you know nothing about, Mm -hmm. invite that person out for for coffee, for lunch, and just talk about like, what is it that they do in their countries or, you know, get to know them personally. Mm -hmm. And I think this is really, really important as much as we can attend all of these workshops, as much as we can, you know, read all the books and stuff, I think it is so just on the surface, but getting to know people like, I mean, I think when I met you as well, I said to you, yeah, I connect a lot with like the African girls, like from African countries, because this is how I grew up, like amongst black African people. Mm -hmm. Whereas like with Indians from India, I don't even speak the language. 
I just know Bollywood movies <laughs> and, 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 and the food. But at the same time, I'm curious because like, I want to know how yeah. was it growing up in India being like same, same, but different from me, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. And there is a lot yeah. of diversity, which we can embrace as well. And just being curious about it, just being a bit more open and being a bit more vulnerable to yes. accepting that you don't know a lot of things, but you do want to take the first step forward to be educated and to learn something new, I think is, is really important. Yes. And I think people are also afraid of saying the wrong things and then they just stop saying or engaging yeah. Yeah. completely, which is also like wrong and sad. And I think if you don't know, and if you're in that situation, yes, then give yourself like this time to listen. Yeah. But find the language, find a small way to make a step in the opposite direction to reach out to someone whose culture is, makes you feel uncomfortable, Yeah, you know, and just, yeah, just be open. So I know that there are a lot of people out there today who, who do want to voice their opinions and get more vocal on digital platforms, for example but really don't know where to start. So what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out into the digital platform space, for example, either with the aim to develop a personal brand or just to voice their opinion on a particular topic? I think you should go onto TikTok, find the latest <laughs> challenge and just like, you know, learn the, learn the dance. And then once you get all these people like following you, and then you switch your concept and you go, okay, this is actually a personal brand. I'm joking. <laughs> no, but I think just really know what your authentic voice is. Like, what are you about? Ask yourself, like, what, what do I stand for? Yeah. You know, how do I want to define my own brand identity? And then, and then play around with different platforms, play around to see where you feel comfortable. It's not always like, you know, don't get pressured into, how do you say, the how many likes, how many people have seen it. Yep. But just get comfortable with the process of sharing your voice and your opinion. Yep. And once you get comfortable with that, I think the rest follows. And, you know, the people whom your voice resonates with, they will be drawn to you. They will follow you. I mean, we cannot please the whole world. I think there's billions of people on the internet. You're not going to have everyone agreeing with you. And that's okay. That's totally okay. So just again, like whatever small space of influence you do have, influence that. Wow. Thanks a lot, Sarona, for sharing that advice. As a closing topic, what is next for you? So what is coming next in your journey? Oh, well, you know, I'd like to say, I don't know, but for the things that I do know, I have an online workshop that, that I'm doing on the 15th of August, which I titled how to start a podcast. And yeah, so I just share like my secrets, my tips, and then just allow people to bring their own questions that they've had, like, you know, and we discuss, like, just talk about how to improve skills how to remove those people who are sitting on your shoulders mm -hmm. and yeah, the technical questions, how I started my stuff and that kind of thing. And yeah, I have a few more workshops on my website. 
So yeah, if anybody wants to check that out, you're welcome to just keeping my podcast going and just to build this brand into a consultancy where women own businesses can also share and, and, you know, just to be a part of it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Sarona, for sharing your story with us. It was really great having you on the show today. Thank you so much, Adia. What a pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I have really enjoyed and learned a lot from my conversation with Sarona. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Digitalization and Diversity podcast, where we further explore how the two topics interact and impact each other. (laughs) 